Hey, thanks for joining us for Digging Deeper. This uh, Sunday, we talked about the idea that God is self-sacrificing and how that self-sacrificing nature is manifest in the incarnation. And and um, we walked through some pretty heady and, and almost heavy stuff around, you know, why did did God have to become human, suffer and die on the cross? And, and um, really fundamentally what it comes back to, it comes back to the corruption. It comes back to sin bringing about corruption of all of creation and, and everything that was made mahod tov, abundantly good, was now made corrupted through the sin of Adam and Eve that we all step into as human beings. That's, that's part of our uh, legacy. And we step into that. But then we also have a spiritual legacy that's in Christ that is the um, decorrupting of all of creation through the sacrifice of the completely incorruptible Jesus as Savior. The one who is making us new, who has, through his life, death, and resurrection, given us a new nature, the divine nature to partake in, and is in the process of redeeming all of creation. So here's the question. The question becomes, okay, I can accept that all things are corrupt. That doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. We look around and we see it. You know, we see it in the death of everything that is alive. We see it in the unraveling. We even see it in the laws of physics. Think about it. The law of entropy in physics. All things are moving from a state of order to a state of disorder. That is the corruption of all of creation. Everything is gradually falling apart. Physics itself tells us that. It's a reflection of the spiritual law of the corruption of, of creation. And, and so we have this corruption that's there, but then Jesus comes on the scene. We, now we have a divine nature, a new nature. Paul talks about put off the old self, put on the new self. And here's the thing. I think... What happens is we then engage in the struggle of how do I live into the divine nature that's now in me that Christ has made me a partaker of? Well, here's where the struggle happens. The struggle happens in the verse that we looked at in our message on Sunday, one of the verses we looked at, Romans 8, 19 through 23. I'm going to read these verses to you again, and then we're going to press into the idea of, if I have been given, I've become a partaker of this divine nature, why am I still struggling with this fallen nature? So here we go. Look at Romans 8, verses 19 through 23. <clears throat> For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So here's a few things to note. 
Um, number one is, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So, there, there's a few different approaches to the idea of who is the one who subjected creation to futility. The most common belief, the most common interpretation is that it was God who subjected creation to futility in hope. And then some scholars think, well, no, that refers to Adam. In his sin, he subjected creation to futility. And then some think, well, no, it was Satan who is the him in there. He subjected creation to futility. I would tend to lead toward the idea that it was God who subjected the creation to futility, which sounds counterintuitive, but because of the phrase right after that, in hope. So, Adam's sin brought about the corruption of all creation, but, but God allowed that. God allowed it by creating a garden that sin could come into. And, and in hope, he allowed it to be corrupted, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So in hope, God allowed creation to be set, uh, become corrupted. In hope that what? In hope that we now having a choice to choose good or evil, God or self would choose God. That's the hope of God, that we would choose Him. And, and so we have to understand that part of the corruption that's there. But then we go down into verse 22. Listen to this. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now the now that Paul's talking about there is the, the resurrection of Jesus. The, the, what he refers to later on as the first fruits of the Spirit. The now is the moment when people can accept Christ and be set free from the corruption that was brought in. So, so creation has been subjected to corruption up until that point, and it's been groaning and still is groaning because it's not fully redeemed yet. But then you go down a little bit further, and it says not only the creation, but we ourselves. So creation is groaning. Now we are groaning. Why are we groaning? Because we have this divine nature in us. But we're living in this corrupted place. Well, if you take, say, a person who is very sound of mind, but has, for example, um, multiple sclerosis, and their body is gradually shutting down you know, physically, neurologically, muscularly, they can't move and speak the way they once could. Well, I guarantee you that person who is in that body that is now experiencing a, a, a deep example of the corruption that exists in the world now, their inner mind would be groaning. Their inner person would be groaning because what's happened is the corruption of the body has limited their ability to interact and influence the physical world around them from the place of who they deeply are in identity. So here's the thing. We are groaning because the corruption of this material world has limited the ability of our souls to influence and impact this corrupted world with the divine truth, knowledge, and nature of Christ that's in us. So what happens is we get back to Romans 7. The very thing I wish to do, I don't do, and I no longer do 
what I know to be good. So we get into that place where Paul's going, I don't do the stuff I know I should do, and I do the stuff I know I shouldn't do. That That's happening for Paul because in his spirit, in his soul, in his inner being, in his true identity, he has been set free from the corruption. He is a partaker of the divine nature, but that divine nature still has to come out through this fallen and corrupted physical world, through this fallen and corrupted flesh, this fallen and corrupted body that I have. Now, I'm going to connect that for a moment with a story from the Gospels where we see Jesus resurrected in his what? glorified body. The body that Jesus walked out of the tomb with was a body that Paul would say in Romans 8 had been set free from the bondage of corruption. How do we know that? Because he walked through locked doors. Because he was seen by others but wasn't completely recognized. Now we know some things about that glorified body from the Gospels, from the resurrection of Jesus. It still eats Revelation talks about feast, right? We're going to be in a glorified body. It still moves. It still interacts. It can still influence its environment. And so what we have is Jesus in a glorified body, freed, no sin nature left. I would say this. Every temptation that Jesus endured, he endured before the resurrection. Even though he spent time on earth after the resurrection, he was not tempted by anything at that point because he was living in his incorruptible flesh, his glorified body, the same body that each of us will be given. Paul talks about that. So here's the deal. Why is there this struggle between me in my inner being, in my soul, being a partaker of the divine nature, and me, in my outward actions, struggling and falling into sin. Because that divine nature somehow is trying to manifest itself through this fallen and corrupted flesh that still wants to be served, that still wants to be pleased, that still wants to be stimulated not a glorified body yet. And so we're always going to be in that place with a foot in each world of I have been born again in my spirit, in my soul. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. But unfortunately for me at this time in my personal history, the only place that divine nature can come out is through this corrupted flesh. It's Romans 7. Flesh and the spirit are in enmity with each other. They're at war. And I don't do the very things I know I should do. And I do the very things I know I shouldn't do. Now what happens is this. The moment when we cease to live in this physical world and we're given that glorified body, all of a sudden, the thing that's in me, that divine nature that's been imputed into my soul, my spirit, my true identity, is no longer hindered in coming out by this fallen flesh. And so that glorified body and that, that divine nature that's in my soul are now working together, moving in the same direction, just as they were for Jesus after the resurrection. Now, here's the thing. If you go back before the fall, the bodies that Adam and Eve had in the garden before the fall 
probably looked way more like the body, the glorified body that Jesus walked out of that tomb with than they look like this. So Adam and Eve had the capacity to live in glorified bodies with souls that were close to God and still chose to sin. Now, why? Because God subjected the creation to futility in hope. In hope. In hope that Adam and Eve would say no we are going to let you be our satisfaction. We are going to let you bring us all purpose and meaning. Our connection to you is going to be more important than any self-will, any enticement of sin. And yet, they chose the sin. And by choosing the sin, moving out of those glorified bodies into this corrupted flesh, bringing corruption into the entire world, that now meant... Back to Romans 8. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. First fruits of the Spirit. <clears throat> that meant that God could now do what Romans 8 talks about and adopt for himself numerous sons and daughters to be his own children because now those sons and daughters living in this fallen flesh have the capacity to choose God. Prior to the fall, Adam and Eve couldn't choose God. They only had God. Love has to be chosen, which brings us back to the answer to the question that we closed our message with. Why did God have to become human and suffer and die on the cross? He didn't have to. He chose to. So in the same way that God set up a dynamic that would allow us to choose between his incorruptible nature or our corrupted nature, to choose to love him or love ourselves, he chose to love us in a way that sent him to earth as one of us. He became, by choice, what we are so that we could become by our choice, repentance, acceptance of him, pursuing him, living in connection with him, what he is. And so, we are in the space in between. We're in the space in between the absolute corruption of all of creation in the fall and the absolute redemption of everything in Revelation. But we're in, the, in between these two points. Who I am on the inside is this, who I am on the outside is this, partaker of the divine nature that's in my soul. And um, that soul is living with a corrupted flesh. And so what happens is this, sometimes my soul wins and I choose to live into my divine nature. Sometimes my flesh wins and I choose to live into my fallen nature. But just know this, the resolution to it all is this, the finality of the cross. The cross means that every moment of my life where I choose my fallen nature over my divine nature has been forgiven and covered and removed. Once for all. That's what Hebrews says. And so the finality of the cross for those of us who are in Christ, who have this divine nature that we're now partakers of, who are struggling to live out that divine nature in this corrupted flesh and world, 
That finality of the cross means that every time I fail at living into my divine nature and I choose to live into that corrupted nature, every time that failing comes, every time that groaning happens, I'm forgiven and have been since the cross. So where do we live now? We live where Paul talks about. We ourselves groan inwardly. And so here's what I would say. The mark of somebody who's in Christ, who's been born again, is not perfect behavior. The mark of somebody who's been born again, who's in Christ and seeking Christ, is the inner groaning. Don't shut that down. Because when you do the very thing you know you should not do, and you're okay with it, you're not groaning. Which means that you are not a partaker of that divine nature. You want to know if somebody is a partaker of that divine nature? You want to know if you're living into that divine nature? You're not going to know it by your good behavior. That could just be choice and willpower. You're going to know it by your response to your sin. And so when am I living out of my divine nature, the divine nature that Christ put in me? Is it when I'm loving and joyful and peaceful and you know pleasant to everybody and kind and generous? Yes, could be. But I can also do those things in my own strength for the sake of my ego, for the sake of praise from others. But I can't, I can't groan inwardly over my sin, over living into my corrupted flesh unless I am a partaker of the divine nature. So, how do we live into that divine nature? We let ourselves groan. We let ourselves wrestle. We let ourselves feel the tension of who I am in Christ and who I am in the flesh when they collide and say, Lord, I know you're here because I'm groaning inwardly over this thing that I've chosen, this thing that I'm seeking, this thing that I've thought or said. See, somebody who doesn't have the divine nature in them never groans over those things. They just view all the nastiness of corruption as a means to an end to get their will served. And what's interesting is this, and here's why we know we're partakers of the divine nature when we're groaning inwardly, it's this. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. It is the Spirit in you that groans over your submission to the corrupted flesh instead of your submission to the divine nature that's in you. It's the Holy Spirit that is groaning in you, with you, as you groan and as creation groans, all longing to be made perfect, to be restored to that divine nature out of this fallen nature. I hope that helps a little bit because really what we're talking about, we're not talking about a struggle with sin. We're talking about a struggle with what bothers us. Do the things that bother me, are they all rooted in my corrupted flesh? I don't get my way. People don't treat me the way I want. People don't think of me the way I want. You know, I, I, I don't have the foods that I like and I don't feel as good as I want to. Or do I struggle with the things of the divine nature? I look at myself and I don't see the image of Christ reflected in my life. I don't have the mind of Christ and think his thoughts. I don't love God the way Christ loves God. I don't seek him the way Jesus sought him. That's where the struggle's at. 
The divine nature and the fallen nature are wrestling inwardly, not outwardly. So embrace the groaning. Groan when you fail. Groan when you see your flesh flare up. Groan because that groaning is coming from two places, with, both within you. The divine nature that you're now a partaker of and the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. I hope that's helpful. I hope that kind of maybe takes some of the outward focus of sin as a behavior issue and turns it back inward as, no, it's a nature issue and I got these two natures at war in me and it's always going to be that way until the day that I'm not in this corrupted flesh anymore, until the day that I'm in that glorified body that Jesus had. Listen, have some open conversation about your groanings in your group. Pastor James wrote you some great questions to follow up on and uh, I hope you have a great time of discussion and just let me pray for you. Father, we're so grateful that we have become, through your Son, partakers of the divine nature. And God, I want to say we, we want to even be people who are grateful for the groaning. Because the groaning is an indication that there is a nature that comes from you and me that's combating and wrestling with this nature that comes from the fall that's in me. And Father, may by your grace... We embrace that groaning, not with guilt, not with shame. All that was finalized at the cross. That was taken away at the cross. But with desire to draw deeper into you, to draw closer to you, and to live out of the nature that you put in us through your son, Jesus. And we ask all this in his name. Amen. Have a great time in your group.